Thank you so much for coming on today's reading. The topic I have in my mind, let's go ahead and open it up with a moment of silence followed by the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The topic is for today, how to change, how to change a circumstance. And as you know it, we can try and change it with anger. And anger doesn't change. We can try and change it with threat and threaten ourselves. But the best way to change the situation is with, you got it, love. I mean, not that butt-kissing type of love, but the uh, other kind of love. The uh, love is tough. What do they call that? And, but you got to do it this way. What I see in my years of experiencing of trying to be better all of my life, trying to find uh, something squared away that will work. One of the things that have worked for me and has worked for countless others, millions of others, is uh, reading. Reading will get you out of out of yourself into the book. Reading proper proper uh, material, <clears throat> material that produces a result, material that has answers, material that doesn't kill, steal, and rob and murder. That kind of material. Whatever we think about, talk about, will come about. Boy, I haven't talked about that in a while, huh? Whatever we think about, talk about, will come about. So we've got to be very careful. Whatever we put in the last two weeks, it's what's coming out today. If you're, if you're looking at soap operas, if you're looking at murder, if you're looking at situations, well, guess what? It's coming out today. That's what we're sowing. That's what we're producing in our life. We're no different than the ground. But the main point is, is when someone's drinking, someone is not working, they're staying in their room, someone is eating your lunch, or you're eating your own lunch. You are the, the trouble of your own life. It's you. You're locked in regret. You're locked in and in, in, uh, you're pissed off, unable to move out of that situation. Do I have a plan for you? Do I have a remedy for you? Say, yep, I'm thankful. I'm stubborn. I'm thankful I'm drinking. I'm thankful. Admit it. I'm thankful I have fear of people, of certain kinds of people. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. Whatever we try to resist, it just doesn't work. Resistance. You have to be thankful for your resistance. You have to be thankful for the resistor, the resistee. And just start thanking God and face it and accept it. Acceptance with thanksgiving is the way to go. Acceptance with thanksgiving because it doesn't end there. Your Father's will is good harmony in life in all areas. Your Father's will is abundant life, is is stability, happy, joyous, and free. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It's, It's such a huge 
good will that it overrides our our thinking. Let's say, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, that's his title. He even said so. I am God. There is no other. If you can find another, let me know. But I don't see anyone else. I created all these things. Isaiah 45. With God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. Now, why would God say those kind of incredible things? And why would his kids repeat it over and over again to other ones that molasses, you got to carry them, molasses kids, that you got to beg them to get on with the program, you know? And all you can do is, is tell them, try this. Thank God that you're molasses. Thank God that you're dragging your butt around. And thank God that uh, what you think is is an injury is really self-pity. What you think is an offense, it's really self-pity. What you think um, you've been done wrong, it's really self-pity. A healthy person will shake it off and keep going because this life is about try, try, and try again. Don't take yourself too seriously. You got to have a battering average of 700. And you got to have a, a failure average of 400, 300. But you keep on trying. The more you try, the more you're going to hit. The more you swing at them, the more you're going to hit them over the fence. Come on now. We can do this thing. Just say, I thank God I did it. I screwed it. I connived it. I lied about it. I cheated. You know, I did wrong. Thank you, God. Woohoo! That's turning your life over to a power greater than yourself, and that is God. And you keep on doing it. And for stubborn people that are outside of yourself, you start praising and thanking Jesus about them. Yep, folks, you said it right here. Jesus Christ, he's the only one that can change the elements, the conditions. Yep, other other, other little gods, I guess, work because they but they keep you locked in. But this God, he show, he'll ask him. He'll show you. He'll come to you and he'll talk to you like he did me. Will the real God please come forward? And he'll take care of situations for you. Now it's your turn. My turn to believe he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's my turn to believe. It's my turn to say, Uncle, okay, God, I'll do things your way. I'll believe. Two things. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, God, and Savior of your life, and a friend and buddy. And our job is to thank Him for every situation, even death. Thank you, God, that truck's going to run over me. Thank you, God, that guy's going to shoot me. Thank you, God, I'm going to go home. Because you got it made it. Once you're in Him, you got it made for eternity, not only for life. We have it made for eternity, and we feel it, and we sense it, and it's called love. Love. The more love we have, the more we can accomplish. The more we thank God for problems, the more love it it increases. You're going to get peace. I'm going to get peace right away. I'm going to get joy. I'm going to get laughter when I thank God for my hiccups. Amen. I love you. Go get them. Give them heaven.
Thank you, everyone, for coming in today's Zoom class. It's Rick and I. We're both in the program. Let's go ahead and get started with the set-aside prayer. Lord, I set aside everything I think I know about you. Everything I think I know about my fellow man, myself, and these 12 steps for a fresh new idea in you, Lord, in my fellow man, in myself, and these steps for your, for your order and your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and say the serenity prayer just for uh, power. <laughs> God, <clears throat> grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, <clears throat> the courage to change those things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and get started with. Uh, let's go ahead with the, the page twenty-four. I'll read a couple of paragraphs, and then you. I'll turn it over to you, Rick. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable, at certain times, to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force. The memory of the suffering and humiliation even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first strength. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hasty and readily supplanted with the old treadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of this kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching. The leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had to come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When, therefore, we were approached to those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this, and nothing less, that we had had deep and effective spiritual experiences which had revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. Dear Sir, we're a believer, there's no middle of the road solution. 
there was a position where we were life was becoming impossible and we had to pass through a region of which there is no return to human aid. We had to, uh, uh, two alternatives. One was to go out to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of an intolerable situation as best as we could. The other one was to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and we really make the effort. Amen. And page 62, please. Selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of self, forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we, we made decisions based on self, which later places in a position to be heard. So our troubles, we think, are basically our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible, and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we had liked to. Neither could we have reduced our self-centeredness much by wishing to try on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how the why. First of all, we had to quit playing God and get him work. Next, we decided that there after drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is a father. We are his children. Their most good ideas are simple. This concept was the keystone of the new trial of the march, which we passed through freedom. When we seriously took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what we needed and we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans and designs. More and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt a new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind and discovered that we could make life successfully. As we became conscious of the of his presence, we began to lose our fear of change tomorrow and thereafter we were reborn. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly him. Page 76, please. 76? Mm-hmm. Go ahead and take it, please. Okay, hang on. <clears throat> when ready, we say something like this to my creator, I am now willing to do what you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove me from every single defect of character which sounds in my way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as we walk there to your pity. Amen. As we we have now completed step seven. Alright. Turn to page 86, please. On awakening. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day before we begin. We ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. 
Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is clear or wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch about occasional inspiration gradually becomes more to part of the mind. Being silly and experienced and having just made conscious contact with God is not a problem that we're going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for the presumption of all sorts of obscured actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will be, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration will come and rely upon it. When we, we usually conclude, the, the period of meditation with the prayer that uh, has been shown throughout the day and what our next step is to be. This, <clears throat> that is what is given to whatever we need or take care of such problems. <clears throat> we especially ask for freedom from self-will and careful to make no mistake we won't quest for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others are to be helped, if we are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends, and many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that and it doesn't work, you can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wise friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers, which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. Pass. As we go through the day, we pause and actually our double. We have to the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves that we're no longer right as a show. I have to say to ourselves, many times we say, I will be done. We are in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, or self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become more and more efficient, and we, if we do not tire so easily, we are not very embittered foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange our lives to suit ourselves. It works, it really does. Amen. Uh, page 43. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. D.N. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful words of life. They, I got my tank full. Let's go ahead and pray out with the, the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Do, do I say it differently than, than there's different versions than you say it? No. No? All right. We did it. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on today and and helping me stay sober one more day. God bless you, brother.
right, we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Bye, everyone. Greetings, family. We got a little uh, book for today called Jesus Today. A friend of mine who was uh, homeless mentioned this to me. You know, it's just amazing how uh, people are so tough they can live out there. Uh, I remember taking a picture years ago with uh, three men. We all came out from the 12-step meeting and they were all homeless. But we had one thing in common. We didn't drink. We were in the program. And there was, if you can look at those smiles, we're outside in the parking lot, uh, folded arms against each other, all four of us, and the smile of love was just amazing. Surrendered to everything, nothing missing, nothing broken. God is taking care of us, fresh air. Everybody's heart is strong from walking. <laughs> Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I have two readings for today, one called Jesus Today, and the other one, the Eight Grapevine, which is a story called To Hell and Back. So here's the uh, Jesus for today. Uh, it says, These, Hope is an anchor for your soul. Firm and secure, a ship in turbulent water needs to drop anchor in a safe place. In stormy weather, a large ship may be unable to enter the safety of a harbor because of the wild waves buffeting the boat. So a smaller boat may be used to carry the ship's anchor through the breakers into the harbor. When the anchor is dropped there, the ship is secure, even though it is still in rough waters. This is a picture of how hope keeps your soul, the eternal part of you, safe and secure in the midst of life storms. To be effective, your hope must be solidly, solidly in me. The Savior. The idea of people is, for me, is to have uh, imagination I got two choices. Either I'm going to wallow in my crap. And, oh, they hurt me and hurt me because in my self-pity, because I, like I like to stab myself throughout life. Or I'm going to be a man and thank Jesus for the problem and the hurt. Okay? And, and then I will get hope. I will get peace. When my hope is connected to Him... I share in his vibrant, eternal life. And what's the evidence? The evidence I can do life like a grown-up. I can take the hit like a grown-up. Acceptance, trial and error, uh, take it in. And the scripture that has here is, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, saying the same thing over and over again, without wavering. For he who promised us is faithful. Jesus is faithful. We will have results like no other results. Pills are no results. Doctors are no results. Same old, same thinking is no results. If this is going over your head, then, you're, then we're locked in to our own thinking. The other scriptures, 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3. Man, that's way over our heads, huh? A resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead has given us a living hope. Woo! Just by thanking him? What a deal, huh? Another scripture is Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. Hebrews again says, We who are holding on to the hope of God's salvation promise have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest forever and ever in order of Meshizedek, Hebrews. In other words, folks, when we start thanking God for the storm in our lives, he puts an anchor for us where we can be steady in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the waves, in the midst of the cold and the darkness, in the midst of trial and hurting and tribulation. We thank him for the problem and, and we move over to peace, joy, laughter, wisdom, harmony, and we stop the self-pitying. Okay? We are spiritual beings having human relationships that hurt us. Okay? And we hurt ourselves with our own minds. Okay, here's the article. You thought I forgot. The grapevine to hell and back. When I became a member of Alcock Anonymous in September 1988, I wasn't sure that the program would work for me. But I was driven by the fear of what might happen to me and my children if I didn't give it a try. Fear was probably the very thing I needed to bring me to the point of surrender necessary to recover. When staying sober became my number one priority, I started to do things differently. I went to many meetings. I got a sponsor. I created a network of people in recovery around me. I became part of that same network by working with others and sobriety became my life. During my first 90 days of sobriety, I had a a few spiritual experiences and some deep relations, revelations. One in particular was that of a burning bush variety. The guilt and shame of past experiences were lifted from me and I have not to this day returned. They have not. I had used the guilt and shame to feel like the worst of the worst. Did you hear that? I had used the guilt and shame to feel like the worst of the worst. And when they were lifted, I became just like everyone else, no better, no worse. There it is, folks. We like to hurt ourselves. When I was six months sober, my daughter, age 11 months, drowned in a bathtub due to my human failings. As I struggled with this reality, my AA group carried me as far as they could. Then they turned me over to God. I needed God then more than ever before, and I'm grateful that I always already convinced He was there for me. I am grateful that I was already convinced. At one year sober, I came to the realization that I still had two older children who needed me. I decided to get busy. I came off welfare and became the only female carpenter in the local union. Being a single parent, I had plenty to keep me busy and always had things to worry myself about. On top of all this, I got into a relationship with a fellow alcoholic who would move in, in and out on a monthly basis. After two years sober, I decided to build a house. Looking back, I haven't the slightest idea 
how I accomplished all that I did. Surely I had plugged into a power that was not my own. A year later, my two sons and I moved into our brand new home. My boyfriend, whom I am still greatly fond of today, had left me once and for all. During my second and third sober years, my moods began to swing dramatically from extreme highs to suicidal depression. I sought help from counselors and psychiatrists. Repeatedly, I refused medications and treatment because of what I had came to believe in AA. My peers in AA said that if you were taking medication, then you weren't clean and sober. I concluded that my mood swings were understandable given my life situations. When my husband-to-be came into my life, I was happy as i ever been. My husband, a widower with a daughter, was also in recovery and was eager to be my partner in life. My stepdaughter needed me and I needed her too. My sons needed a father and now they would have one. Life was good at last. I quit work for a while to be a mom and housewife. I had little or no stress and we were all happy. Then after two months of marriage, I went into a depression so deep that I wanted to die. I tried everything, meetings, sponsors, steps, prayer, ek, and I just couldn't come off of it. This time, I had nothing to pin it on. I, it didn't make sense. I felt crazy, and I began to doubt all that I come to believe in through sobriety. After three months of relentless depression, I wound up in a psychiatrist's unit. I had become a willing to listen as only the dying can be. I was diagnosed manic depressive, bipolar disorder, and finally I was willing to try medications, anything that would relieve me from the merciless depression. During the next few years, I had 10, 10 stays in the psychiatric unit. I was arrested once for assault charges after striking my husband. I slipped my wrist and overdosed on my medications. My stepdaughter was taken away overnight by the Child Protection Service. I wanted to die more than I wanted to live. I knew only that I was living in hell and I was taking everyone I loved right along with me. I was afraid of dying, but living seemed worse. After five years of sobriety, I drank again. I don't blame my relapse on my mental condition. I know that my sobriety lost its priority and for that I am responsible. Drinking wasn't the worst thing that happened during those years, and I no longer <clears throat> believe that drinking is the worst thing that could happen to me today. I've been to hell in sobriety, and quite frankly, I would rather drink. I have five months sober today, and I am finally taking the medications that work for me. I am in group therapy for mentally ill, chemical-addicted clients. I have recently started individual therapy on a long-term basis. I attend regular AA meetings and I have a host of friends who accept and love me unconditionally. During the course of my lifetime, I have experienced trauma after trauma, as have many of us. I am, without a doubt, an alcoholic. I also suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. Without help for my problems other than alcohol, I will get drunk. And drunk, I will never be able to work through these problems. The steps of AA work wonders on alcoholism, but they can't guide me through all my problems. I need outside help, and just like a diabetic, I will have to take medication for the rest of my life. I wish the more people in AA could understand this. I and some friends have started a new meeting for people in recovery who suffer grave emotional and mental disorders. We call it the Forgotten Chapter Group. 
because of Dr. Silver's remarks in the doctor's opinion in the big book. We are just getting it off the ground and there is much interest and input. We are all grateful for one another and hopefully as well. I love AA and everything that I have found there. If I hadn't gotten sober, my maniac depression wouldn't have been diagnosed and I don't like to think about where I might be. Instead, I have a purpose today to share my experience, strength, and hope with others like me. Tina W. from Kingston, Washington. Thank you, Tina. This is from March 1995. I'm Fernando Alcoholic, and I, too, respect the people that take medical. Plus, they seem like they're always high, and they seem like they always have an excuse. And they seem not to be in service work. Uh, The guys I work with. Okay. Maybe there's other people, but the people that I, I run with, they, they absolutely take no medication. I don't take medication, even though I have five, six of them in there, because it, it activates my self-pity. Even taking vitamins, oh, poor me. <laughs> and I take a vitamin, and it activates my self-pity. I love you guys. Thank you for hanging in with me. Got to go now. Got to take coffee to the park meeting. It's a grapevine meeting. I love you. Let's go ahead and pray out with the uh, third step prayer, please. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, of thy love, of thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Take care, family. Keep coming back. It's working. Here, Animal, read this by Merlin Carruthers, narrated by Patrick Crowley. Here we go. What should we do with a man who is more animal than human? Such a man was placed in our state prisons. He hated everyone, especially the guards. When ordered to do anything, he reacted in rage. Several guards were injured during his violent outbursts. Prison authorities really didn't want inmates attacking their guards. Each time the prisoner attacked somebody, they put him in the hole. This was a small underground cell, eight feet by eight feet. The solid concrete ceiling, walls and floor were three feet thick. The 16-foot-high ceiling was constructed of cement and steel. In the center of the ceiling, there was a small door made of steel bars, and this was heavily bolted. No man has ever escaped from the hole. The prisoner's entry into the hole was without fanfare. Guards opened the ceiling door and lowered a ladder. The prisoner edged his way down into his hole and watched, no doubt with trepidation, as the ladder disappeared through the small square of light above him. Now, state laws had set the maximum stay in such total isolation at seven days per visit. Three times a day, guards lowered bread and water through the ceiling door and into the prisoner's hands. For most men, the seven-day treatment was sufficient. From then on, they usually followed the rules, but a guard told me that this prisoner seemed to have no control over his hatred for all men. 
When a guard told him to do anything, he would lash out at the guard with his fist, his feet, or any weapon he could find. Within 24 hours of his being removed from the hole, he was again forced through the steel barred door and down into the cement tomb. There he bothered no one for another seven days. After weeks and months of seven-day trips into this gruesome pit, the inmate became more like an animal than a man. He eventually was known as the animal. One day, the guard who was on duty had just finished reading my book, Prison to Praise. He thought, if any man ever needed this book, it's the animal. But he despised the prisoners so much that he didn't want to pick up the book, bend over and drop it through the steel bars. So he aimed his foot, kicked the book through the the bars and hollered, here animal, read this. Alone with nothing to do, the prisoner read Prison to Praise using the faint light that came between the steel bars 16 feet above him. Later, the prisoner told me what happened. As he read the book, he mocked everything I had written. He scoffed at the idea of thanking God for things that had happened to him. In derision and scorn, he said, okay, God, I thank you for that three foot thick cement wall. See, it's still there. Thanking you didn't do anything. Item by item, the prisoner thanked God for each wall, the floor, the 16-foot-high ceiling, and the steel-barred door. Laughing and mocking, he continued to challenge God. Why don't you do something, God? Then he thanked God for his cold dampness, the numerous cockroaches, his hunger pains, and his aching bones. The prisoner told me that after exhausting his thankfulness for everything he can see, he thanked God for the guards that he hated. The prisoners who despised him, the judge who sentenced him, his worthless attorney, the witness who lied about him, the policeman who arrested him, the people who had kicked and beaten him when he was a boy and for his drunken, abusive parents. The lists of people to hate seemed endless. When the animal finished his list, he went back and started all over. Hour after hour, he laughed at God and dared him to do something, anything, as he gave his mocking praise and thanksgiving. On the seventh day, the ladder was once again lowered and the prisoner crawled out. The guard told me that he was totally flabbergasted when the man came through the trap door. The animal was smiling. He had never seen him smile. Even his eyes looked happy. He was a different man. The prisoner told me what had happened. After days of thanking God, something had occurred that defies a natural explanation. A man had appeared in his cell and said just three words. I love you. He then said his eyes were full of love for me and I knew it was true. The following hours were filled with genuine thanksgiving to God. The prisoner realized he had waited his entire life to have that one moment with the man he now knew to be Jesus. The guard told me that the prisoner was a living miracle to behold. Instead of lashing out at people, he wanted to hug everyone. Gradually, the entire prison populace believed the man must have met with Jesus. He had miraculously become so much like him. Eventually, the prisoner was released, pardoned by the governor, and became a prison chaplain. Why did Jesus appear to that man? He possibly knew Satan had such a hold on the animal that there was no other way the man could be set free. I know that praising God has power. We never know what may happen when we are obedient to God's command. He said, giving thanks for all things 
unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20 He also said, All things work together for good to them that love God. Romans 8.28 Why doesn't Jesus appear in every person to everyone who has a severe problem? I can't answer that. I know that he said, It is best for you that I go away, for if I don't, the Comforter won't come. John 16.7 It seems that for reasons unknown to us, most of us go through difficult experiences in order to find our way to God. Jesus told of the rich man who was in hell. On earth he had so much wealth that he didn't know what to do with it all. The poor man Lazarus was covered in sores as he lay on the steps of the rich man's palace. Now, Jesus said, the rich man is in torment while Lazarus' joy is eternal. In some way, Lazarus' suffering led him to God. Jesus said it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I believe that when he said a rich man, he meant everyone who has an abundance of many good things. If we don't have problems, we don't seem to turn to God. Therefore, we often need problems. In my first book, Prison of Praise, I told the story of how God clearly and dramatically convinced me that he wanted me to thank him for everything that had ever happened to me. At first, I couldn't understand how thanking him for everything could do anything worthwhile. But he persisted, and eventually, I began to understand. As I continued to learn from him, I wrote a second book, Power in Praise, in which I explained what I had learned. As people read these two books, letters and phone calls came to me by the thousands. People told of amazing experiences as they practiced what I had written. Many of their encounters were as dramatic as that of the animal who was visited by our Lord Jesus. God will meet every man's and every woman's needs in whatever way he knows to be right for that person. Jesus' promise was, come to me and I will give you rest. Matthew 11:28. You and I aren't in the hole, but we do have problems and needs. As we learn to believe that God is working for our good, we, in a new way, know and love his son Jesus. There is indeed power in praising God, and it's a power that is available to everyone. Would you like to see this power working in your, in your life? I urge you to read the books God inspired me to write. Hello. Good stuff. Kind of. I, I heard things that I haven't heard when I read it. Kind of stuttered. No, you did a good. couple of spots. Man. All right, it's on pause. Oh, okay. You can stop now. Oh, stop. <laughs>